The beginnings of humanity were born from the whispers of an entity whose origins were unknown. The creator race, sparking the light in the mind and then the body, in theft of fire. A man is convinced he knows the truth that lies behind the darkness of All Hallows' Eve and is determined to do his part in the man who saw the veil. And a ritual is born to cure those that are sick, to summon a doctor whose treatments are well out of this world, in The Miracle Pill. Welcome, you lovelies. Three stories for your awesome ears, creepylicious and intriguing, from three separate authors. I hope you enjoy today's tales, you lovelies, but before we begin, I'm going to thank those that thank me with their support. Matthew J. Bauer, the Pitch Black Whisperer. Maya, the symbol of mystery. Divided by zero, a shadow of the unknown. I own cows, he whose hooves are hidden. And Lee Bauer, the consumer of the night sky. Thank you for your amazing level of support, folks. You have such a special place in this podcast art, and I'm so damn grateful. Thank you so much. And of course, I also must thank my old great enforcers. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, Peter F. Ellie, Michelangelo Yacone, and Robert Fisher. Thank you all so much for your support. You have me smiling from ear to ear, in a non-terrifying way, of course. Turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and let's dig into some tales of the dark. Zeth stepped carefully under the cover of night as the menacing shadow flew behind the trees of the deep oasis, his hand tightly squeezing the spear in his hand, ready to strike the predator at any moment. The hairs on his back stood on end to sense any shift in the wind, and his ears perked for the slightest rustling of grass. In such a black night, eyes were all but useless. Zeth sniffed the air and caught a foul smell from the lurking shadow, not unlike the fetid yellow rocks that dot the desert. He continued slowly along the oasis until his feet tread over something peculiar, a circle of deliberately placed stones surrounding a pile of sticks and leaves. As Zeth knelt down to examine it with his hand, a cold mighty wind blew past and he jumped backward in primal fear. The shadow had flung itself directly behind the stone circle, looming over Zeth with a malicious presence. Zeth crept back, aiming his spear at the shadow, primed to thrust at the obfuscated creature. It made no sound, nor did it advance at all towards him, merely hovering there in silence. Suddenly, a great spark cracked from the sky, crashing to the ground, and set the wood within the circle ablaze. Zeth jumped away in a panic, then quickly spun back around, aiming his spear once again. He was paralyzed by the sight of the creature, now illuminated by the circle which was set ablaze. It was an amorphous black mist that reminded him of a small swirling sandstorm. As soon as Zeth caught sight of it, however, it dissipated all at once, leaving a flickering fire, isolated by the stones. Zeth was fascinated by the fire, 
which the stones kept from spreading wildly among the trees. Then inspiration came, like an invasive thought crawling into his mind. He broke off a branch from a tree and fastened loose foliage onto the end of it. Zeth gingerly extended the branch toward the fire, allowing the tip to become engulfed. The fire which caught on the torch frightened him at first, fearing it would seek out and burn his hand. But to his amazement, it burned steadily and warmly. When the sulfurous smell from the shadow had finally gone, Zeth picked up another scent, something familiar and decadent. He aimed the torch in its direction and shone the dim light on a predatory beast, prowling on all fours, snarling with hunger. It was a black pelted beast with a thin forked tail, tall ears which can listen for miles, and a drooping snout housing dozens of sharp teeth. Both Zeth and the canine beast poised to strike with spear in hand and gnashing teeth respectively. In a swift motion, the beast pounced, but Zeth punctured its flank with his spear. With a yelp of pain, it clamped its jaws onto Zeth's spear arm, loosening his grip. He fell on his back by the weight of the beast, claws scratching on his chest. Torch still in his hand, Zeth pressed the flame into the beast's neck. It released his arm and staggered away from the burn. Though Zeth continued his assault, burying the torch harder into its neck, the beast struggled but continued to snap its jaws at Zeth's face. Once more, a thought invaded his mind. It cannot bite without a jaw. Though the idea came into his mind, Zeth knew the thought was not his own. Regardless, he felt compelled to action with renewed strength in his wounded arm. Zeth placed his knee onto the beast's chest, dropped the torch, and forcefully ripped open its jaws with his bare hands. The blood pouring into the ground reflected the torchlight, still burning. Although he was triumphant, Zeth trembled at the sight in disbelief of what his hands had done. His fingers were wet with blood, pierced from where the beast's teeth dug inside. He hardly had strength left to retrieve his torch, but his brother and sister would need the precious meat to survive. Osir, his brother, was sickly when Zeth left for the hunt. If he were to return empty-handed, Osir would surely perish. With trembling hands, he reached for the legs of the creature, intent on slinging the body over his shoulder. The fur pricked the tears in his flesh, and Zeth grunted in frustration, pacing in thought. A cold wind blew again, extinguishing the torch, leaving only the campfire to light the area. Zeth darted his vision at the corpse, which was being consumed by the shadow, which had earlier escaped. The black mist enveloped the beast both inside and out, causing it to twitch and contort. Its limbs twisted into unimaginable shapes, compacting into tighter dimensions. The shadow tore the flesh clean from the beast's skin, morphing only a muscular frame with a single broken jaw dangling from the neck. Bone crunched and snapped until the beast's entire body all but disappeared into a dense black singularity, pulling Zeth and all the surrounding trees into it by a mighty wind. Then, in a single instant, it stopped, suddenly growing into a strange shape which Zeth had never seen before. It was rectangular and as wide as his chest, 
yet compact enough that he could lift it with two hands. Zareth, still dumbstruck in wonder and awe, brought the shape near the firelight. He found that the tome opened as it seems, revealing hundreds of thin layers which all turned in the same direction. The pages all held together in its thick, leathery binding, contained symbols and scribbles incomprehensible to Zeth. Yet as he admired the artistry, he began to understand their meanings. Its messages came, not from deciphering of the markings, but as whispers in his mind, much like the invasive thoughts during his battle with the beast. Visions flashed before Zeth's mind, and secrets he never knew possible were learned. He saw communication between his kinsmen in deliberate vocalization, carving of such language into symbols by stone on clay, endless fields of crops watered by a great river, feeding entire civilizations, great structures of stone, which housed great monarchs, weapons more deadly than the spear that spit fire at lightning speed, machinations of man that soared through the air like birds, a cosmos that stretched out for eternity, planets which grew life more alien than he could imagine, magic secrets of wielding life, gravity, and even time. Lastly, Zeth was given a premonition, for creatures similar to he and his kinsmen, tearing through the empty void of space, they arrive on a planet teeming with life, and with technological superiority, rule that planet as gods. And the journey had already begun the moment Zeth lit his torch in the shadow's fire. He had stolen the flame from his whisperer of secrets, and in return, it had stolen the food from Osir to satiate Zeth's appetite for knowledge. Zeth closed the tomb, no longer afraid, now filled with confidence and understanding. All the secrets of the universe held in his mind, he would return home to share this knowledge with his sister, though he would require a light to find his way. Zeth took the discarded beast pelt and draped it over his back, letting his face hang atop its head. He knelt by the fire with the tomb tucked safely under his arm. With his free hand, he waved over the crackling flame, then swiftly swept it out from the wood and stone. The fire continued to burn steadily above Zeth's open palm. His fingers motioned for the fire to dance, twirling in circles, expanding and contracting. He played with it like a new toy, amused by his own power. As Zeth started off his journey for home, the whisperer of secrets flew out from the shadow of the trees, up toward the empty void of space. It was curious to see what might come of this enigmatic species, now that all had been revealed. Only a single message was whispered across the cosmos to any of its fellows that might hear. Behold, man has become like one of us. You can feel it, can't you? Feel what, Mr. White? That's not my name, Jeffrey. You know it's not. It's Van Helsing. <sighs> Jeffrey sighed as he pushed Mr. White 
along in his wheelchair. Mr. White. He tried to change the subject. There's somebody here to visit you. Somebody who really wants to see you. Why should I take that risk? Mr. White questioned. It's All Hallows Eve, Jeffrey. The veil between our world and theirs is at its thinnest. And as long as I'm locked up here, the creatures of the night are out there running amok. Perhaps this visitor is an envoy of hell, here to make sure I don't foil their evil plans for this night of terror. I'm not so sure about that, Mr. White. Jeffrey did his best to reassure Mr. White as he wheeled him into the visiting center. A young woman was sitting on one of the several couches scattered throughout the spacious room as other patients met with their loved ones. She stood to meet Jeffrey. Is he... She asked nervously as Jeffrey wheeled Mr. White closer. He's a bit rattled, Jeffrey answered, but the medication seems to have calmed him down a great deal. He's still adamant in his delusions, but then again, it is Halloween after all. The woman knelt before Mr. White, taking his hand in hers. Stephen, she whispered, how, how do you feel? Samantha? Have you come to take me home? Samantha fought back tears, and she stared into Stephen's eyes. I came to see you, she whispered. The doctors, they, well, they get worried about you, Stephen. Especially at this time of... It's because they know, Stephen exclaimed, standing up from his wheelchair. They know that I've got a duty to be out there, protecting the innocent, and yet they refuse to let me leave. Samantha, you have to believe me. You saw firsthand what the spirits have done, what they've taken from us. Samantha couldn't contain herself and began to weep softly as Jeffrey calmly guided Stephen back to his seat. Stephen, Samantha said quietly, I came to tell you that they've found him. They've found the bastard that killed mum and dad, okay? I came to tell you that it wasn't some ghost or vampire or whatever you're so obsessed with. It was a man, Stephen. A sick, sick man who's going to rot in prison for what he did. Do you understand? After all these years, we can finally get the closure we deserve. Stephen shook his head. You're wrong. He mumbled. It wasn't a man that did it. You weren't there when it happened, Samantha. You didn't see what I saw. You're right, I didn't. But I saw the man who did it, and I just wanted to tell you that all our pain is over. Think about what I've told you and internalize it. Stop with this Van Helsing revenge fantasy, because we don't have to be vengeful anymore. We can be a family again, if you would just make peace with it all. When you do, I'll come take you home. Samantha stood and slowly backed away from Stephen eventually turning her back and leaving the visitor center. Jeffrey sighed, <sighs> wheeling Stephen back to his cell for the night. Ready for your medicine? Jeffrey asked as Stephen began to settle into his bed. It's not right, Jeffrey, he murmured. I should be out there protecting people, making sure what happened to my parents never happens again. Jeffrey nodded, slowly approaching Stephen with the syringe full of sleep medication. It won't, Mr. White, I promise. Now please, try and get some re
In an instant, Stephen sprang to his feet, taking Jeffrey by surprise. He wrestled the syringe from his hand, injecting its contents into Jeffrey's arm. It was only a sedative, so he knew Jeffrey would be fine. Jeffrey was a human, and humans weren't his enemies. As Jeffrey slumped to the floor, Stephen emerged from his cell, slowly shutting it behind him. He shambled back towards the visitor center, retracing his sister's steps as he approached the exit. He walked straight past the sleeping security guard, paying no mind to the cameras that tracked his every move. He didn't care if they came looking for him, as long as he had this one night to do what needed to be done. He pushed the door to the outside world open, the cool October air hitting him like a freight train. He stumbled down the steps and out towards the hospital's parking lot. No sign of Samantha's car, which meant he would have to walk. It was about a mile to Maple Shade, his hometown. It was a deterrent, but he could not allow himself to be distracted from his task. Not tonight. The streets of Maple Shade were nearly empty when Stephen arrived. It was close to 11.30, and all the younger children had been pulled back home by their cautious parents. Halloween was a touchy subject after what happened to Stephen's family all those years ago. But soon it would all be okay. Soon, he would make sure that his fellow townsfolk had nothing to fear when the veil was at its thinnest. He stalked the dark streets, searching through trash cans for any kind of makeshift weapon to defend himself with. This was the day when evil spirits were at their most powerful, and even the most simplistic of worldly weapons could mean the difference between life and death. At last, he found the shard of broken glass when patrolling the house at the end of 4th and Garden Street not much, but it would do. Just as soon as his luck picked up, it began to drop once more. Stephen's attention was diverted by a sudden rustling in a set of nearby bushes. Something was stalking him in the night, watching his progress as he combed through Maple Shade. No doubt reporting back to its wicked master that Stephen Van Helsing was finally free. Stephen approached the bushes slowly, keeping his newfound weapon at his side. When he got within earshot of the bush, it erupted into a rustle of leaves as something darted out onto the street. Whatever it was, it was a monster. It was a tall, spindly creature shrouded in darkness. It skittered onto the street of Maple Shade, tearing away as Stephen began to give chase. For far too long, the creature of the other side had been given free reign to terrorize the living. Tonight, Stephen was going to do his part to stop it. Even if it meant only killing a single monster, he was proud to send his message to the creatures of the night. When he caught up close enough to the monster, he lunged forward, driving the shard of glass into its back. It howled in pain, dropping to the ground with Stephen on top of it. He broke the glass of it in its back, digging into the creature's exposed neck with the tiny fragment that remained. Black blood spurted all over his hands as he screamed in victory. He was so caught up in his celebration that the red and blue flashing lights in the distance didn't register in his brain. The lights turned off and two officers emerged from the squad car. Oh Jesus, one of them muttered, Freeze, asshole! The other shouted, drawing his gun, Hands up where I can see him! Stephen stood, dropping the shard of glass as he raised his hands over his head. You can take me back now, officers! He said proudly, I did what I had to do to keep us all safe. 
I slayed a monster. I drove them back for one more year. The officers grabbed hold of Steven, quickly restraining him with a pair of cuffs. They shoved him into the back of the squad car, quickly taking off for the Maple Shade police station. Shortly thereafter, an ambulance arrived to carry away the bloody corpse of the teenage trick-or-treater, his hands still firmly clenched onto a pillowcase full of spoils from a night full of innocent fun. Being sick is never fun. You really have the energy to get up, and are condemned to wherever you rest. Your nose is clogged, and you spent hours upon hours and endless boxes of tissues, blowing and blowing to clear it out. The taste of food is gone, replaced by the icky phlegm that is stuck in your throat. And the fever's heaven forbid! If you're not already warm enough, the aches that accompany your heightened temperature only serve to make the next week of your life miserable. And then there are others who have much more serious illnesses than the common cold. People stuck in hospitals, slowly counting away their final days in unhealthy misery as doctors do what they can to ease the suffering. Whatever end of the spectrum you may be on, every single sick person agrees on one thing. They all want to get better as soon as possible, and they all wish it was as easy as a simple pill. They all try many different methods. Some get prescriptions from doctors, others try natural remedies, with everyone thinking science will solve it for them. Most forget about an alternative method. The doctor is always willing to take on new patients, and he has an excellent track record. But before you make an appointment, there are some things you will need to prepare for him. As you may be aware, every person has four humors, which dictate the behavior of one's body. Red bile controls the sanguine nature, or the social part of oneself. Yellow bile governs aggressiveness. Black bile secretes from depression. And phlegm is associated with apathy, or a lack of emotion. Some conventional doctors might disagree with this philosophy of medicine, but don't listen to them. For the doctor to determine what is wrong with you, he'll need a sample of each of these. Some are easy to collect, others will require fortitude. Before starting, gather four cups of similar size. The simplest humor to acquire is red bile. All you need is some blood. Though it needs to be enough so that the doctor can examine it. Not a tiny drop left on some paper because you were clumsy with a knife per se. It needs to be a good gash or about a needle or two's worth should you choose to draw your blood. Collect it in one of the four cups. Next is phlegm. While phlegm's traditional concept is not quite the same as we've come to define it today, you can still make use of the modern meaning. So blow your nose, scrape your throat dry, do whatever it takes to obtain a good amount of that nasty green respiratory mucus. If you blew it into a tissue, you'll have to separate the two. The doctor is very busy and doesn't have time to sort your phlegm from some disposable piece of paper if he's going to be curing you. It is advisable to collect your phlegm before the next section, as the two could be combined and may become hard to separate if you don't. Yellow bile is connected to the gallbladder, which releases the bile that makes the soup in your stomach taste so awful. It is a taste you're going to have to experience now. Force your body to vomit. It doesn't matter how. What matters is collecting as much pure throw-up juice as you can, so scooping it out of the toilet afterwards is a no-go. This is the only sample the doctor gives leeway for, as he understands bile is a hard one to collect. 
just put it right into the third cup. You can clean your floors when you're feeling better. Now you're on the final sample, black bile. Now while it's known that black bile is connected to depression, tears are not an appropriate sample. Something more akin to death or rot is what the doctor needs. Most people back out here. But if you really want this illness to be over with, you must follow through. Try to make it quick. Expose a part of your skin to an open flame. It should still be on your body, as it must die before being charred, as in you cannot cut a piece off and then cook it. Fight through the pain and smell. Once you have a piece of skin burnt black, remove it and store it in the final cup. Most people burn their stomachs or love handles, but it's up to you. Now you have your samples for the doctor. All that's left is the visit. During the evening, go into a bedroom and remove all forms of medical supplies that are not 100% necessary. This includes tissues, vapor rub, water, even cough syrup. Anything to help you feel better. If not, then the doctor will see these pitiful cures and just walk out insulted. Clear off a table or shelf for the doctor to work at and place a lit candle on it, along with the four samples in their cups. Now take out a marker and on the back of either hand draw the number 8 with a larger top than its bottom and put the letter T through it. An example has been provided. Anything that resembles the form of a caduceus will do. This is only so he knows where to find you. Turn off the lights, draw the curtains, and climb into bed. Get snug and wait. No one is to be with you in the room during this time. As the night goes on, the symptoms of your illness should take hold, and you'll be dying to take just one throat lozenge, or blow your nose into a few tissues, but you must stay in bed and get your rest. At some point, you will drift off into slumber, only to wake an hour later. As you lie there, the door of the room will creak open to reveal a hulking figure stepping out from the darkness. Draped over its shoulders will be two dirty, tattered pieces of fabric with numerous symbols adorning them. Underneath it will wear an equally tattered coat, stinking like a babbling swamp of bile and B.O. The mask will probably catch your eye first, however, and should be recognizable. After all, it was all Doctor's Ward during that time. But something will seem off about the mask, and you would do best to try and remain calm as you see the nails that keep the beaked mask in place, sticking out from the back of his skull. It's more for his protection than yours. One too many people tried to rip that mask off, exposing him to their diseases, so he's made sure that will never happen again. The doctor will close the door behind him, give you a short glance, then wander over to the desk. He will take a seat and open up his bag, pulling many different and strange tools out to test your humors with. At this time, the doctor will be running his tests, and there are a few things you should be aware of as the testing goes on. Firstly, that stinking miasma he gives off will only grow worse as he conjures together mixtures and compounds alike. But the truth that you will soon realize is that the miasma has paralyzed your body. You can try to move all you like. You can attempt to shout at this terrifying being that you've let into your room. Or even try to run away screaming, but your body will not respond. This was also in response to the more dangerous actions of some clients. Now... 
if you did not collect all four samples for him, say if you couldn't produce any vomit, or you were too terrified to burn your skin and tried to shortchange him, the doctor will simply approach the bed to gather some samples himself. You may think at first, this is fine, he's a doctor, he knows how to properly take some black bile. But you'll be regretting those thoughts. The instant a hammer and chisel are breaking open your ribcage so that he can access whatever organ he needs. Even if he creates your cure from doing this, it's unlikely you'll survive long enough to take it. There are two other conditions you should be aware of. If you have a blood disease, once he tests your red bile, the doctor will simply stand, slowly walk towards you, and with his beaked mask poking your nose, he will state that... You have bad blood. You may not understand, but you won't have any time to respond before a series of gashes are sliced into your arms and legs from his scalpel, draining you for every drop of that crimson fluid you have. If you are physically healthy, however, and the illness you wish for him to cure is mental, then after a few hours of testing, the doctor will rise suddenly from his chair, perplexed, before storming over and demanding to know what is wrong with you. The miasma will lessen for a moment, giving you time to tell him what mental illness you wish to be cured of. But whatever your answer is, the doctor will not understand. And as the miasma overtakes you once again, he will produce a medical saw from his bag. The miasma is no anesthetic, by the way. And you will be left frozen and suffering as he examines your brain in his patch-worked hands, lined with scars like a Frankenstein monster. Now, if you do not fall under any of those previously mentioned conditions, then after some time, you may see the doctor take the flame of the candle and dip it into a liquid mixture. In the darkness, you must remain patient until a hand protrudes, holding a pill near your mouth. This is it. The miracle pill you've been waiting for. The miasma will dissipate, and he will ask you to sit up. Do so, and take the pill from his hand, then swallow it. He will care not of your reaction to the pill. The louder you scream, the more certain he will be that it's working. You will feel the literal fire he added to the compound coursing through your bloodstream, burning and scorching every inch of your body, cleansing any ailments this tidal wave of pain can find. The pain of the pill will last for about 30 minutes. It is crucial that you survive this. You survive the collection of black bile. You can do this. Do not faint. You must remain awake for the pill to work. Otherwise, without an act of consciousness to keep yourself from dying, then the strain that the pill has on your body will push your heart beyond any reasonable limits and you will go into cardiac arrest. The doctor will not help you. He already did everything he could to cure your disease. Now, you must be the one to make the change in your life. But if you persevere, you will be triumphant. For when you make through to the other side of the misery, it will all vanish. The doctor will be gone, the cups will be cleaned out, and you will fall into a well-needed rest. And when you awaken the next day... You will feel healthier than ever before. In fact, the miracle pill will keep you clean of all disease for the next six months. Now you can move on with your day and live life to the fullest. Oh, one last note. 
Should your ailment be one of a terminal nature, the doctor will still cure you. Not only that, but he permanently cures you of all diseases, giving you the rest of your natural life to enjoy. But to save you from death's grasp comes at a heavy price. For when you do pass from this world, there he will be, bag in hand, ready to perform some experiments on your soul. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed all three tales tonight. We had Rituals, The Birth of Intelligence for the Human Race, and The Murderously Insane on All Hallows' Eve. I really enjoyed all of them. Having a soft spot for the Doctor's Tale, seeing as it was ritual-based. <laughs> Mates, if you want to send through a story or a recommendation, reach out to me via email at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Dead easy. And if you want to support the show with a couple of dollar dudes every month, just like those lovely white tea warlords and ograin forces, visit my Patreon, www.patreon forward slash sfgt.com, and take a look there. This week, there's going to be a couple of changes to Patreon, so keep an eye out, mates, and all of them for the better. Lastly, this Friday, I'm going to bring you a special surprise, so I can't wait to share that with all of you as well. Alright my creepy crawlies and dark denizens, have a great day or night, and as always, till next, we meet.